0: Here at Docs at O'Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, it is so nice having you online with us today. We're in week three of our series called Disciple Shift. And we're just about halfway now. And you've been journeying with us. You'll know that this series is all about trusting God to shift the way we think about following Jesus. What does it mean to truly be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus? That's what we're looking at in this series. And we're doing this together as a church every single year. So this is kind of like a a cultural pivotal moment for us as a church because we have our eyes set on the mission of Jesus Christ. And we want to follow him every step of the way. Now, here's the truth. We are all disciples, we're all being discipled by someone or something out there. Probably the most um, prominent example for us to look at when we think about being discipled is culture. We are all discipled by our culture. I remember when I was a teenager, "Blue Double D Yes, you got it right. I listened to Venga Boys and those guys. That was kind of the song. That was the song I was. Listening to those guys. I was wearing something called buffaloes I don't know if you remember the buffalo shoes, but it's those shoes with the very high soles Um, Yeah, and there would probably be pictures going up now of that and and then you'll laugh with me for that And then uh, obviously I was wearing a hairstyle They called a step and it was like this middle pikey Step down kind of vibes and for some other reason when I look at photos of myself I can't believe that I thought that was cool. And I guess that if you go back to your teenage years, that you would have quite the same experience as I did while I was just describing this to you. Some funny laughs, do you think that how could I have ever, in my right mind, thought that would be OK? Well? The only reason why you thought it was good is because your culture discipled you and convinced you that to dress this way, to wear this kind of hairstyle, to look like this makes you acceptable and you've arrived in this life. That's kind of one of the ways we are discipled. We follow the trends of our culture. However, when Jesus disciples us, he does something far more radical than just challenge our dress code and change our sense of fashion no he comes and change the very fabric of our being he changes the nature of who you and i are paul puts it like this second corinthians 3 verse 18 he says the following and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed into what well, into the same image, into the same image as his son, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is busy touching on a beautiful thing that God does with us. You see, it's through his grace. As we behold Jesus, now that we can see him with unveiled face, we can see him face to face. We can see the truth for ourselves that as we behold him, we become like him. We are being transformed into the likeness. What you behold, you will become. And that's the full truth of what Paul is busy revealing here. And we've been looking over these two weeks and today and the next week and what does the process of this transforming work this metamorphosis look like in our lives and we've used the example of Michelangelo that says the following he says his job when he was doing sculpturing work was to free the human image trapped inside of the block of marble and it's kind of like what God comes and does with his chisel his grace He's Chisel is his tool, that's grace. And he comes and chisel away everything that's not his son, that doesn't fit in this new image that we have been created in. And it's a work that he does through his spirit, the word tells us. And uh, we've said to embrace God's metamorphosis, transforming work. There are four shifts that we need to embrace as disciples. And first week, we talked about a shift from culture to Christ. Whether it is that you are trapped in a religious culture Or in a secular culture, your modern, popular worldview culture day, you need to walk away from that and you need to embrace Christ. You make a shift from being discipled by that culture. And Jesus asks his disciples to follow him and him only. So that's the first shift. The second shift we have to make is we need to make a shift from behavior, changed behavior, to a changed heart. From hard work to heart work no amount of hard work can ever get humanity's heart to work again it's only by the power of God it's by his spirit that we have received a brand new heart that can now respond to God's goodness that can now follow him you'll never be able to follow Jesus through your hard work the thing that needs to change in a follower of Jesus life is their heart They need a new heart. And we've looked at how God gives us that new heart and it produces new levels and kinds of fruit within our life. And then that brings us to this week, week three, where we're going to be shifting from law to grace. To be a disciple of Jesus, you make a shift from law to grace, from achieving to receiving. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe to quickly give you a quick rundown. And out there, there is a lot of religions in this world. And religion basically works on the foundation of law. If you join any form of religion, you need law to make a religion work. Because religion is like little ladders. People climb ladders to get to God. That's what religion is all about. And the fact of the matter is the moment I obey the laws, when I fulfill these laws, I I abide by them. Then I climb a ladder and I get all closer to God. And should I fail to obey them, I fall down the ladder. And it's terrible. The reality about religion is that religion only produces either puffed up people or broken down people. They're either miserable because of how bad they are or they're totally overwhelmed by how good they are because they're great at doing laws. But it never, ever, ever produces true, confident and humble people in the same word. And religion is a way for us to either get to God or in some cases to be God ourselves in a way. Let me quickly give you an example of some of these religions. The first one, Buddhism in buddhists in buddhism there are the eight noble ways the eightfold noble ways that you need to oblige to that you need to give yourself to in order to reach nirvana one day do you see the ladder do you see the little steps that you need to take and if you do these things you will get nirvana hinduism there are lots of different deities in hinduism and lots of different people that you can engage with but In essence, Hinduism centers around this one big rule and one big law, the law of karma. For every action, there's a reaction. And and karma basically says, all of your good deeds will be rewarded and all of your bad deeds, well, you're going to have to be repaid for them in order to get a good and a great karma. Do you see the little ladder that we need to climb? Islam centers around the five pillars of Islam. It's the same thing. You need to get these five things in place and then you will be a good Muslim and then you will be blessed. You will get to God. Here's another letter that we don't always think of, but just modern day secularism. And this is not a letter to get to God. This is actually a letter for us to become God. You know, if I abide by all the rules of the secular society and I climb the ladder and I become the hero of my culture, suddenly I am God and and there is fulfillment in my life. But should I not be able to climb them secular society, I become the one that everybody tramples on. I'm worthless. I'm worth absolutely nothing. And then, sad to say this, But there is also a Christian version of religion. And maybe you've heard about this. I've definitely heard about this. I've spoken to many people. And I've once been caught up in a version of Christianity that actually can be labeled as religion. Where you read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you're a good Christian, and then you go to heaven. Or then God will love you and then he will look favorably upon you. But it's just another ladder. Here's the the line. Here's the summary of any religion that you will find out there in the world. It's this. It's if you obey, God will accept me. If I obey God, He will accept me. He will love me. He will acknowledge me. He will show favor towards me. But it's all based on my obedience, my following of the rules the only problem with this is, if you want to take it to Christianity, is the Bible. Because God never says you need to obey Him in order to receive His love. I want you to read this with me. It's in Romans 5 verse 8. Just read this. This is so powerful. It's Paul speaking. He says, but God demonstrates His own love for us. God demonstrates His love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us do you see what Paul is saying here let me tell you what he's not saying he's not saying God demonstrated his love for you because you obeyed him no he said exactly the opposite he said God loves you God reached out to you while you were sinning rebelling running away manipulating him nailing his son to a cross God reached out and he loved you to be a disciple of Jesus to be a Christian means that you embrace this truth that God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God came to end all religion and start a relationship for you and for me to enter into a life transforming one, one that changes us. This is what the Bible calls grace. To be a disciple of Jesus, we need to shift from law from religious mindsets to grace to a relationship to access to a good king I love the way Bono from U2 puts it when he reflects on this idea of karma and grace he says the following he says you see at the center of all religions is this idea of karma You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, in physical law, every action is met by an equal or an opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I am absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace. To upend all of that as you reap, you will sow kind of stuff. Grace defies region, reason. It defies logic. Wow, what a statement. Our grace is this thing that we struggle to embrace, struggle to understand. So what I want to do for the next, for the remainder of our time together is I want us to look at what is this grace that makes us shift from an achieving to a receiving mindset and posture in our connection with God? And then also, how does this grace actually come and change our life? So first, let's look at what is this grace that shifts us from achieving to receiving. The word grace in Greek is the word charis, or in Hebrew, I believe it's pronounced chen. And it basically means, unmerited favor that's it grace means unmerited favor now in every relationship that we enter into we go into a relationship looking for favor favor from the other person that we have a relationship with and most of the time if not all of the time we go in with the mindset that we have to earn this person's favor. So we treat them nicely. We do all kind of nice things towards them. We handle them with respect in the hope that they would look favorably upon us whenever we need something from them. That's the key. Now, here's the thing about grace. Grace is that we receive favor without earning it. We don't try and get it. I think the best example for me about grace in a modern day worldview and a picture for you and me to better understand is one given by Dr. Arnold Moll, um, the father of famous presenter, top presenter, Michael Mall, and he shares this story. I've shared it many times because it had such a great impact on my life and I want to share it again with you if you've heard it before, bear with me and maybe just drink in and allow God's spirit to reveal this truth again to you. But here it is. Imagine one day you wake up at night hearing something down in the kitchen, a noise, and because it's late at night, And you're a little bit scared. You have a little gun with you. You Call it your safety mechanism, keeping it with you. And you go down to go and investigate. When you arrive in the kitchen, you find a guy living on the street. But now he's standing right in front of your fridge and filling his belly with some of the scraps that you have left over in your fridge. He sees you filled with fear, 18 years old, starts explaining because he realizes now his life is in danger he immediately starts explaining how he lived on the street never had parents and that you should have mercy on him and he's just very hungry and he's just looking for something to eat and while he's busy sharing this with you and you're kind of getting over the scare and the possibilities of what this could be suddenly you hear a sound that makes your heart stop and it's coming from the direction of your newborn son's room you so see you and your wife you struggle to have kids And this is your first and your only son. And you are so blessed to have him. But you hear a scream that lets you know something terrible has just happened. So while this boy is busy explaining and asking for mercy, you go down the aisle and you look backwards. And there you see the horrific sight that you wish you would have never seen in your life. But you see your wife devastated with a lifeless body in her hands which is your son and he's dead and what happened was when this young man decided to enter your house to try and get some food to fill his belly he decided to climb in by the window of your only son your newborn baby boy and this boy started crying because this young man from the street does not know what to do and was afraid that he would be caught out he just put a cushion, a pillow over this boy's head and he suffocated and he died and suddenly the young man that was standing in front of you that was begging for mercy now suddenly becomes the murderer of your only and first born son Dr. Arnold Mole describes and says you have four choices in this scenario. The first option is what we call revenge. So you look at that boy and you pull the trigger. You kill my son, I kill you. The second option you have is justice. You pick up the phone, you call the police. And you let justice have its way. For most, I believe that will be a hard option to take. The third option would be what we call forgiveness. As you look at this young man and you tell him, listen here, I don't have a son. You killed him, you took him away, but I'm going to forgive you. I never want to see you ever again. Get out of my sight. For anyone listening to this story, that would be seen as impossible. However, God even went beyond that. And that's the fourth option. That's grace. It's when you look at that young man and you say to him, listen, I know you did not have a dad. Now, I don't have a son. Why don't you come and stay in my house and I will be your dad and you can be my son. You can get everything that's rightfully his. You can get his room. You can get his bike. You can get his food. You can get even the love that I have for him. I will lavish out over your life. You can get his inheritance. Everything that's his is now yours. And that is grace. You see, we've been adopted as children of God through his grace. And the Bible tells us something very powerful about this grace. Is that this grace is a gift from God. Says it as follows in Ephesians 2, Paul writes about it. It says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not from works, so that no one can boast. This grace, this favor that you receive from God, this invitation to be one of His children, is a gift. It's not something you and I can earn. You know, what? Something, something I want to tell you about a gift is that gifts cannot be earned. Gifts can only be done with, dealt with in two ways. It can either be accepted or it can be rejected. And I believe today, as you listen to this, as a disciple of Jesus, someone that wants to follow Jesus, do you accept the gift of grace or are you still trying to climb the ladder? or you're going to reject it by climbing that ladder because grace humbles us but it also emboldens us and gives us confidence to approach God's throne with boldness because we are so loved while we were still sinners. That's grace. The second thing that we want to look at is how this grace transforms our lives, how it changes us. And I want to quickly take your attention to a portion of Scripture in Titus chapter 2. Paul writing once again, verses 11 to 13. He says the following. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. There he talks about this grace. This grace that changed the position of this boy from living on the street to being a child living in this man's house. And on the cosmic level, it's changed us from being sinners, rebellious against God to being sons, to being children, to being in his house. And he talks about this. He says, that's the grace of God. And then he goes on to speak about this grace. He says, this grace that, he, that saved you and me, this same grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying that not only is the grace of God forgiving our sins, but it also teaches us to say no to sin. And this grace goes on beyond just teaching us to say no. It teaches us to live a self-controlled life, to live a godly life. Salvation does not only change your position in Christ. You've not just been moved from sinner to child of God. No, it now teaches you. Listen carefully. The grace of God teaches you how to live like this child. You see, in in theology, we have these two terms justification and sanctification and justification is the saving moment God saves you that's what we call justified he declared you just you can come into the house you can be in his presence sanctification is where God is busy in a process of growing you but we so many times believe that sanctification happens by our works and it's not true It's by God's grace. It's embracing His teaching. It's embracing His grace. As Paul says here, the grace of God teaches us. And this grace repositions us, but it also changes our attitude, our appetite, our ambitions, our actions. Grace is not a license for you and me to continue in sin. No, grace is the one thing that gives us the license to kill sin. It's through grace that we get the power and that we are taught to say no to live self-controlled and godly lives. I quickly want to touch on these three points and just reflect with you before we're going to listen to a song and I want to pray that the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart. Grace teaches us to say no to sin. Grace tells us that sin is the one thing that Jesus died for. When we look at God's grace, We see that Jesus paid with his life to remove sin. That is a barrier between me and God. Why would you and I invite back the one thing that Jesus died for into our relationship? Do you see how grace starts teaching us that sin is not okay in our relationship with God? Because God died to remove it from this relationship. Grace is guiding us, turning us away from this one thing that our loving Savior died for. Secondly, it teaches us to live self-controlled lives. What I find very interesting about this word self-controlled is that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit so many of us believe that self-control is a result of my willpower and if you've tried to exercise self-control through willpower alone you've discovered that it comes quite short and it fails many times it's by the power of God's Holy Spirit that we can live a self-controlled life and just by the way the only way we can have access to the Spirit is because Jesus died once again on the cross That we now can receive the Holy Spirit, this gift of God. It's once again not something we work to achieve, it's something that we get to receive through the grace of God. It's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit. And we follow the prompting of God's Spirit. Lastly, grace teaches us to live an upright, godly life. What's it saying? It's kind of the picture with my own children. They're born, they live in my house and I teach them in a very loving environment to love who they are born to be. So now, now that you have received God's grace, now that you are a child of the Most High, now that you are celebrated and loved beyond measure, you could never dream of the kind of love that you've received through Jesus. Why don't you align yourself with this new creation that you've become? You're a child of God. Live like a child of God. Live godly. Live upright. Show the world the glory. Exhibit God's glory on the way you live in His grace. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray and ask Holy Spirit that as we're going to listen to this next song, that you would come and unveil our hearts to the truth of your grace and that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian is not a matter of works. It's not about following the laws in order to get to God, but it's surrendering to the fact that God came down to us and he made a way through his Son Jesus. I pray that wherever people have discovered this truth, Holy Spirit, that you would guide our hearts, teach us through the grace of God, that we would walk as fully matured, devoted followers of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.